the vision is to really um, to be a catalyst for the journey that I've gone on myself. That's Mark Ema, and this is the Super Dad Show. Superdad Show. I'm your host, Jared Lestrange. Being a Superdad is not about being perfect. It's about having a growth mindset and striving to become the very best version of ourselves. Each week, we interview our superhero guests about how they deal with the everyday pressures of being a parent, partner, and provider. We discover new ways to develop our real-life skills. We learn new strategies to help us to make massive growth. Subscribe now, listen in, and become an active part of our worldwide community of Super Dads. Now, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Today, we are joined by Mark Ema. By day, he works for Horizon Rail and Logistics. Early mornings, evenings, and weekends, though, you'll find him coaching runners and training hard towards his 78th ultra marathon. In competitions alone, Mark has run over 4,700 kilometers. He has only failed to finish four of them, which considering the physical toll training and competing in such a sport has on the body is an incredible feat. Mark, welcome to the Super Dad Show. Thanks so much for having me, Jared. Now, um, can you give us a brief history of your life up to this point? Where did you grow up? What were your parents like? Yeah, what would sure. you like to tell us to help us to get to know you a little bit better? Sure. Yeah, look, um, I'm one of three kids. Um, grew up in um, grew up in Coffs Harbour in New South Wales, okay. coastal town, really beautiful spot. Yeah. I grew up in a little town just outside Coffs Harbour, actually. Um yeah, so so pretty um, pretty normal sort of childhood, I guess. Went to a small country town school, and then in high school in the in the big big smoke in Coffs Harbour. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, did and you know did fairly well through school, and then um, decided to get out of get out of there and go to university. So um, I ended up in Wollongong. Um, I worked for um, what's now Blue Scope Steel down there, the steelworks okay. at yeah. Wollongong. Mm-hmm. Got mm-hmm. myself um, one of their traineeships there and went through university with them and and um, started my life there. So really, um, that's where I met my first wife and, um, you know, we we uh, raised the family there in Wollongong. I worked, I worked there for 21 years, actually, at the steelworks, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so we, you know, we bought a house and did a bunch of work to it and raised the kids there and um, and that's where they still live to be honest um okay. when we when we separated um it was my intention to make sure that they were looked after and they didn't have to move out of their family home so mm-hmm. um so agreed that that was the way it was going to be so they're still yep. there today many years later mm-hmm. um so yeah so my background um from a from a trade perspective I'm a I'm a metallurgist actually by trade oh what um, sorry a metallurgist so a, a materials engineer. Okay. So um, it's all That's things nice. to do with um, with um, the manufacture and and um, and uh, properties, if you like, of different materials. So uh, working in the steel working in the steel industry, that was kind of invaluable um, mm. background. But um, but yeah, so um, Wollongong is the area I've lived for most of my life after growing up in Coffs. Um, but it was while I was in Wollongong, and um, so I met a few people and started doing some running. And that's how, and that's when the running started. So um, that's a um, pretty good spot to do a bit of running around the beaches around Wollongong, and still not too far away from um, the Blue Mountains, uh, Katoomba, yeah. in uh, west of Sydney. There, so um, a lot of my trail running um, was happening in that region, which is which is such a beautiful spot. Um, mm. And um, and then later in life, when I moved to Sydney, and then um, spent some years there, spent a lot of time running around there. Um, so yeah, a bit about my kids, perhaps. Um, so my eldest daughter, seventeen, um, typical seventeen-year-old, um, um, has um, um, less time for her dad than what she used to when she was younger. Um, but um, but she's a great kid um, and um, is preparing to finish high school very soon and study nursing. Um, okay. So yeah, she's great. she's doing really great. Oh, awesome. um, 
My eldest son, um, you mentioned this earlier, you had an interview with a guy about autism. My eldest son um, has autism and uh-huh. um, he attends a school um, that provides um, some special support for him. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's... And what, um, are, what are his behavioural, um, uh, you know, or, or challenges? Yeah. Um, he, he, um, so mostly his uh, speech um, is, is, is quite severely um, atypical. Um, his verbal communication is quite poor. Um, he's learned to sign language uh, quite a little bit. Um, so that's an area that I need to improve on to understand okay. a little bit. Um, yeah, sure. but, but in social environments, he's not too bad. He doesn't... Mm. He's not overly sensitive to noise as much as what he was when he was a lot younger. So he's mm-hmm. been able to manage that quite well. Um, so um, um, the, the current um, goal for him is, to, is um, to, to develop further his social skills so that he may be able to live in one of those um, sort of shared house, support house arrangements when he finishes school. Um, okay. So um, all of his... Um, aid if you like that he's getting a support is is with those goals in mind um, um and then next is uh, my next daughter she's um she's a great girl i'm actually seeing her this weekend she's coming up to brisbane to visit Fantastic. Um, so that's going to be great um yeah typical typical girl um and um yeah so just looking forward to, to spending a bit more time with her actually this weekend so that's really cool she's done a bit of running with me before um, last time she came up uh, to visit, we uh, um, we went and did a park run together. Awesome. Um, so that was really cool. And then, yeah, number four, uh, 12-year-old, um, um, also autistic but much, much milder, um, just has a few uh, socially quirky uh, things going on, uh, very, very much into the computer games. Um, I follow his channel on YouTube. He does... He does some funny little videos on YouTube that gives me okay. a laugh. Um, yeah. But yeah, totally, um, totally a bit of a uh, yeah, computer nerd. So, um, so, uh, so his his goals are really just to um, yeah to improve his social skills a little bit so that he yeah. can live a normal life. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, pretty. He's a sort of kid actually that everyone gets along with. He's just a really funny, loving sort of kid. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, he's um, he's he's really really fun to be around. Mm-hmm. Mm. And how has the relationship with your ex morphed over the years? You obviously must have gone through a very tough time mm. with the with mm. the breakup. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how mm. that relationship has evolved to where it is now? Sure. Um, I feel very fortunate in that when we split, while it wasn't something that um, – we both um, thought was ideal. Obviously, no one wants to enter a relationship thinking that they're going to end it. Um, mm. But fortunately, we both approached it in a very sensible, pragmatic way mm. in that we were able to successfully work through the separation. We um, were able to continue communicating um, on an as-needs basis. How it's changed over time, I guess, um yeah look we we have contact um when there's things going on with the kids that we that we need to talk about um and of course you know things relating to child support and all that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. um i would say that we um we i wouldn't say that we're friends but we're not unfriendly towards each other either sure. we're I'm able to have a conversation with her when when I do see her, um, you know, when I pick up the kids or they drop, she drops them up or something like that. So it's amicable, um, and we never have a harsh word to say about each other. We we've just both accepted that what we had ended, and and we've both moved on. So um, mm. yeah, and we both wish wish each other the best for whatever the future holds. So um, mm. so I feel quite fortunate. I know that's not the case for many. Uh, for many dads, is that they have very mm. they have issues um, with with the relationship with their ex, um, um, and um, I feel very fortunate that I don't have those issues. Mm. 
In hindsight, looking back on the relationship, do you see things that you could have done differently to ensure that that marriage didn't break up? Yeah, um, it's certainly absolutely with hindsight bias um, that I see those things. Um, And in summary, it would be about taking action against uh, around trying to resolve issues much, much earlier. Um, And and while we're married for 14 years, um, I didn't realize it at the time, but if I look back at it now, there was probably some cracks starting to form within the first couple of years, Mm -hmm. um, which I didn't pay attention to, um, nor did she, but but certainly I take that responsibility myself Mm. just to take it on as a learning for the future is that... So are you... Are you talking about perhaps a lack of communication or one person um, uh, not communicating how they're feeling around an issue effectively? Uh, did you run off into the into the sunset when when things got tough and, and you had a disagreement and and it all got swept under the rug? What what do you mean about the crime? so for me? So for me, I felt like. Um, so I think ultimately my fear has always been that um, um, of being alone was always a fear that was underlying how I behaved. So I, I probably spent most of my time agreeing with a, a course of a course of life, if you like, mm. um, that was in agreement with what I thought she wanted mm. and what we wanted. Whereas. Um, what I should have done was um, be more true to what I felt my life's path should have been mm. and and us working out together what that should be. So I think I was just a little bit subservient around the direction that I wanted my life to take. Um, mm. Mm. I didn't take control of that and, and um, allowed myself to, to take uh, various career decisions, family decisions, other lifestyle decisions mm. Mm. that were probably – falsely had me believing that that was going to preserve the relationship forever when in fact it was eroding my own um my own masculinity my own my own self-confidence and everything else to where mm. it got to the point that i realized that my life looked nothing like what i wanted it to look like mm. um and then to have a conversation around that was was fairly um impossible um in that neither of us could understand each other um so I got to a point where I had a conversation with her to say how unhappy I was and how I wanted things to be. Um, basically, I said I want things to be like they were when we first started um, dating. And um, she said, no, I want them to stay like they are because the kids are the priority, which I understand. Um, but she couldn't see a way that that could happen and I couldn't say a way that that it could remain and, and that's that's how it all sort of panned out from there. So, so yeah, mm. in, in essence, um, I'd allowed my life's path to take a journey I wasn't happy with um, but didn't realise it at the time. So the learning for me was to, in future relationships, to, um, to be true to myself in, the, um, in how I want to contribute, um, what makes me who I am and, mm. and find my purpose and pursue it. And then that will naturally mean that um, the relationships I have with others will be um, dependent on on that. So the people mm. that find that interesting and attractive will be attracted to me because of that. And that's how it will work successfully. So um, Beautiful. So, yeah. Now, the reason why we find ourselves on this podcast is because I know your partner, Scylla. Mm. And so you now have stepped in as a stepdad to to you know young teenagers mm. teenage girls as well um let's talk about this new relationship about the the lessons that you've taken with you what mm. has changed in in you and what's different about this relationship and yeah. how you're handling being in that role of stepdad now sure yeah look and and in that respect it's still very new um i'm being very careful not to behave as um I don't want them to think of me like that as a dad. I initially okay. want them. I want them to feel like um, I'm their mother's partner. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Why is um, that? Um, I think because it's new and I know that um, the relationship that, that Scylla has with her daughters is extremely strong. She's been a single mum for quite a while mm. and um, they've all relied upon each other um, for some time. Mm. Um, I don't want to be the guy that necessarily comes between that. Um, but that said, um, you know, her eldest is 21 and, um, and youngest has just turned 15. So mm. it's not like they need necessarily a father um, that I've got experience in being. So my experience as a father with, with a wife is when kids are, you know, eight years old um, and my experience as a father to a 14-year-old or a 17-year-old is mm-hmm. as a single dad. Mm. Um, so I guess my experience in how to have a partner with children of that age, um, it's it's very foreign to me. So yeah. um, just want just not wanting to misstep, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the two girls have very different personalities as well. So um, it's um, it's an interesting dynamic, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very loving household. Um, so I feel quite privileged to be there. Yeah. Um, so let's and- talk about. Yeah, sorry, keep going. Yeah, and and to to the credit of the girls, um, they they know how much um, Scylla and I um, mean to each other, and how or how much I mean to Scylla, and have been very accepting of me being in their home. Um, and so I have a lot of respect for them for that reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's talk about uh, your your partner Scylla. She's a very high flying entrepreneurial woman. Mm. And uh, she's obviously very supportive of you following a path towards having your own um, business and stepping away from your nine-to-five. Yep. Uh, tell us about this business that uh, that you're starting, which is you're running coaching and you want to move into public speaking and everything as well. What's what's mm. your vision for, for yourself and, and your business moving forward? Yeah, look, the vision is to really um – to be a catalyst for the journey that I've gone on myself. Um, so because I know, so for me going through that journey from running, from not running at all to running, you know, a few kilometers and then stepping up again to running a half marathon, stepping up again to a marathon, stepping up again to a, to, to these ultra marathons um, and then stepping up again to be doing, multiple events um and and other things and um and just achieving at levels that i didn't think were even possible Mm. um because that that journey's been so significant um it's actually had a flow-on effect to other areas of my life so um there's just many other things i've been able to do and I've, i've just felt more whole as a person because of that because of that journey so to be a catalyst for the change in others is what is really driving me. That's, that's my vision for this business is to, to help as many people as I can, whatever stage they're at to go on an equivalent journey um, of self-discovery of, of improving self-belief to really making this sort of lifestyle change. Um, Mm -hmm. I truly believe that um, for Aspects of your life, whether it's your family, relationships, career, your finances, um, even things like your creative side, your spirituality, all of these things are so dependent on this house that we live in, this body that we live in working mm-hmm. properly. Mm-hmm. And when your health and your fitness is is on song, then you've got more energy, more motivation, um, more belief in yourself to make all these other aspects of your life work mm-hmm. properly. Absolutely. Um, and that's what I found. So if I can help people be fitter and believe in themselves more, then the contribution to people's lives in general is just immense. So that's mm. the vision. How do mm. I help as many people as I can go on that journey? Beautiful. Mm. Let's talk about some of your core beliefs. Mm. What what are they? What are your core beliefs? So that's one really that that your health is the cornerstone of a, of a really uh, harmonious, well balanced lifestyle. Yes. Um, so that's the core. Um, the other one really is about, well, if you want to improve your health, then what are the three things? I think there are three main things that we need to focus on. 
One is the actual activity itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so that whether it's the training, the activity, whatever it is. Um, and for me, it's running. For others, it might be cycling or it might be swimming or it might be something else. But there's some activity to go to actually do to make the body part work. Mm-hmm. But to make that, to actually partake in it, it, it the mindset needs to be right. Um, I think about the, the the book Think and Grow Rich, right? I mm. think many people have heard of it and probably read it. Napoleon and I think Hill. It's, yeah, Napoleon Hill, that's the one. I think it sold like 100 million copies worldwide. Mm. But I don't think that there are 100 million people who have implemented the learnings <laughs> of the book because yes. then we'd all be rich and, and so on. So I, th- I think the same around training is that um, just having a program, just knowing what to do doesn't help unless you actually do it and the way you do it is by having the right mindset. And that comes down to uh, the belief that you have. If you don't believe that you can do it, then you won't act on it. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we need to change beliefs and you change beliefs through, through self talk. You've got to think the right things and you can actually control, you can control your thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're always of the, of, if you've always got this voice in your head that says, I can't, I can't, then you'll just you'll believe that voice. Definitely. But if you decide and you say, I'm going to tell myself I can, I can do this, I can do this, then you'll mm. start to believe it and then you'll do it. Yes. Um, I see so many people come to me and they say they want a program and I give them the program and then after a week they stop following it. It's because their beliefs aren't right. Mm. So I try mm. to do a lot of work with people to, to help them, um, well, first of all, assess where their mindset's at and then, um, pro- provide some activities and advice and, um, you know, I, I talk to them in a way that helps them think differently about what they can do to guide mm. them through that. So that's the second part. The third part is there's no point doing all this training. So you've got your mindset right. You've decided to do it. You've got, you're doing all the activity. But then so to actually improve, the body has to go through an adaption process. Yeah. So if you're feeding your body with a whole bunch of junk, then your body's not going to grow and repair properly. So nutrition is absolutely vital. Otherwise, you've got all this wasted effort. Nothing's going to improve. Definitely. So they're the three parts. So mm. without the training, nothing's going to change because nothing's going to trigger. Without the belief, then you won't follow through. And without the nutrition, it's all wasted effort. So you put three together, that's where the magic happens. Yes, absolutely. So let's um, let's break down nutrition a little bit more as a sure. uh, as a runner with mm. um, a crazy amount of kilometres that you need to recover from putting your body mm. through each week. Mm. Uh, all of these races where you're really pushing the the upper echelon as well. Mm. What is your philosophy around nutrition? Uh, so without talking individual sort of. Um, you know, I'm not going to name particular diets or, or anything yes, like that cool. particularly, but mm. but look, focus on the quality of what, what you're putting in your body. So the, the quality of the nutrients, um, the balance of your macros as well. So the right quantities of proteins and carbohydrates and fats and 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 foods with lots of lots of vitamins, lots of minerals. Um you know, pre, postbiotics, all the things that are going to help you digest, fiber, all of those types of considerations. Get those things right mm. um, is number one. And then secondly, the timing of, of when you have those. So, you know, eat those things and drink those things at the right time. So don't sit down to one massive big meal at the end of the day and, and neglect the rest of the day. Mm. Um, mm. Have, have, have the food coming into body at regular intervals that corresponds to to your training workload so that um, your body can recover and repair using all those nutrients at the right time um, and um, and so that the energy is being stored in your body in in the right ways as well so so that's that's the that's the advice really um, is uh, quality and timing of, of mm. nutrition mm. Mm. absolutely absolutely so Look, I know I've got uh, a nutrition course inside Superdad University that um, you know has dietitian guidelines and helps people to have that balanced diet because all of the meals are you know high in plant protein, high mm-hmm. in phytonutrients. You know, lots of fruits, lots of veggies, lots of those things that give us 
optimal health. Um, you know, what do you point people towards when it comes to finding out more? So you've just talked about some sort of guidelines. Mm. Um, where can people find out more about about nutrition? Um, you know, in in terms of uh, you know you spoke about the pre and probiotics that's um you know we know that our gut health is so incredibly important and it's amazing when we look at the fact that what is it something like over 70 percent of um, our feel-good hormones Mm. are within our stomach so if our gut health is crap you know we're not going to feel good up here in our head as well and our and Mm -hmm. our mental health so um Yeah, obviously you're a proponent for um, for pre and probiotics. Is there a particular one that you recommend? Oh no, look, I, and I, I'll never prescribe anything. Um, what I'm qualified to do is provide a meal plan for an athlete based on based on sort of macros and totally okay. total energy um, input mm-hmm. and so on. But if people sure. have particular health issues, then I'd always point them towards a a, um, a health professional, so whether it's their GP or to go and see a qualified um, uh, nutritionist um, to to get specific advice about those things, um, sure. and certainly any of your listeners um, would be would be keyed into um, to the sources of um, you know good nutrition from from your sources as well. So I wouldn't have anything additional to say to to what sort of uh, things that you've got there. Okay. Yeah, great. Yeah, look, for any of our listeners, uh, you can go to www.superdaduniversity.com. You can sign up for a free 14-day trial and you can take that nutrition course where I take you through, um, yeah, cooking demonstrations. We've got the recipes there. We've got a uh, qualified dietitian with over 25 years' experience who can assist you to know, you know, um, what serving sizes and, and amounts for each of these macronutrients, um, you know, um, are required. In terms of, you know, running, we know that obviously carbohydrates are the main source of energy, uh, you know, and for, you know, recovery, we need that protein to go in and repair all of those microscopic muscle tears. The carbohydrates are obviously going to keep you going for longer. Let's talk just a little bit more about your own, you know, nutrition. When you are preparing for an ultra marathon, what's mm. your meal the night before? It's obviously not pizza during a race anymore, but <laughs> how's, what's, what's your nutrition strategy um, coming into a race like that in the days prior and then the days of the event? Are you bringing yep. gels in a little pack with you? And- yeah, look, it varies depending on the event, but but generally, mm-hmm. so um, there's this thing called carb loading that people talk about with with racing a fair bit, and that's yeah. to make sure that the muscle stores and, and liver is fully stocked with glycogen, so that on mm-hmm. race day you've got a full tank of fuel, so to speak. Um, now, but but runners also go through this thing called a taper, which means you're actually decreasing the amount of work that you do in the in the two to yeah. three weeks prior to a race. Mm. Um, what I generally find, um, and people may may get this slightly wrong. Um, is because you're decreasing your workload in those few weeks, um, <clears throat> all you need to make sure that you're carb-loaded fully is to continue to eat what you would normally eat, and that naturally means that you're going to be um, fully stocked up because your workload's sure. gone down a little bit. Yep. So yep. so in the week prior, to, and particularly the night prior, I don't have additional carbohydrates to top up. Uh, oh, look, on the, on the day before, I might have... Uh, I may have one small extra serve of fruit or um, a piece of banana bread or something like that, mm-hmm. but generally don't try to overdo it at all, mm-hmm. uh, particularly on ultra marathons too because um, pretty much no matter what happens, I'm going to run out of glycogen stores at some point. So um, it, it's more critical to get it right on the day than the night before. Yep. Um, that said, on race morning, I'll have a very light meal. So maybe, again, just a pe- like a banana and a piece of banana bread, um, drink some water. Um, just to make sure, again, what I've lost overnight is topped up and I'm fully prepared at the start line. Gotcha. Um, during the race itself, a um, couple of different things. So um, I will um, I will take some caffeine with me during races. Um, the Institute of Sport um, does recommend that caffeine can provide for benefit 
um, in these races. Um, so I do take a little bit. Unnatural caffeine, though, it's um, ones that's derived from green tea um, mm-hmm. and extracted in a very um, in a very natural way. So I do that. Um, in terms of carbohydrates, a um, couple different things. Um, I'll um, sometimes take a specific sport drink that contains three different types of sugars so that they're um, digested at different rates. Yep. Um, so I'm optimizing how many calories I can absorb quickly. Mm-hmm. And um, and the osmology of that mix is balanced so that um, the digestibility um, is spot on. So um, if it's digested too quickly, then it can cause stomach distress. Mm-hmm. Um, so you basically um, – Things move too quickly through your body, which isn't too nice. Um, but if it's the other way, then it sits in the stomach and doesn't digest quickly enough. So you get stomach cramping um, and, um, and so on. That's not right either. So so the mix I have is balanced so that the digestibility is is right and okay. maximizes how much I can intake. Um, other things, um, I'll want some solid food occasionally. So in long, long races, I might take some – you know, have some noodles or soup at an aid station. Um, and for me, uh, fruitcake is a really good thing to have on a race mm. because it's got different types of sugars. It's got dried fruit, but it's also got, you know, the, the flour and stuff and like that in the cake. Um, and the balance seems to just work for me in these long races. So yeah. um, I'll often cut up an entire fruitcake um, and put it in different um, areas on the course and pick it up as I go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I could eat half a cake or a full cake, depending on the on the race. Um, but yeah, it gives me gives me a good source of energy that one. So mm-hmm. apart from that, um, some electrolyte and water, and um, and that that generally keeps me good good going. I generally stay away from the gels um, unless I need a really quick shot of energy because um, because I've uh, over overcooked it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. So if anyone ever lines up on the um, on the start line with Mark. Um, make sure you pay attention to where he's been before the race so you can steal his fruitcake. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very interesting one. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, look, okay. Um, <laughs> actually, something else that uh, when I was uh, getting notes for our episode, uh, you said is that you fast for long runs, you feed to refeed. Uh, hang on, you fast mm. long runs and you feast to refeed because it sparks an increase in your fat loss hormones. Mm. So that's something you recommend to people. Oh, for advanced, um, for an advanced runner. So someone who's been doing some of these events for some time and is looking for um, some, um, you know, they might have some troubles with their um, sustaining their energy levels later in races. Mm-hmm. Um, or someone who just can't quite get the digestibility of their foods right, so they struggle with with stomach issues. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, one way to assist that is to have the body trained to be able to use their fat stores as energy more, yeah, more efficiently than what they currently are. And there's a couple of things that you can do for that. Um, one one is to train while you are completely fasted. So. Um, skip your dinner, uh, wake up the next morning and then go for a four-hour run without any food whatsoever. Um, train at a very, very low heart rate. Um, um, again, you'll, you'll naturally use more fat stores than carbohydrate stores the lower your heart rate is. But you want to train the body to do that more. So if you do it in a fasted state, then the body will start to pick up on that process earlier. Um, gotcha. if, you do that, if you do that on your long runs, on, on a weekend um, and you do that every weekend for three months, four months, even six months, then the body will start to adapt. <clears throat> Come race day, you can then take some carbohydrates on, on the race, but your body's already learned how to use fat better, so you'll just have more energy generally in the, in the back end of those races. Okay. Um, yeah. The other part that you mentioned about, um, about refeeding, um, since, since a lot of us um, – want to actually, you know, I think most of us want to be nice and trim and lean and and have very low fat on our bodies because it looks good and we feel good. Um, One thing that um, a lot of athletes do, not not just runners, but, you know, other other sports as well, Mm -hmm. um, is they go through a fasting process um, 
And when you go without food for a while, then the body starts to kick in and wants to actually um, use fat stores more. Um, there is a hormone which regulates um, how that how that process kicks in. And if that hormone is quite high, then it's obviously better to get that hormone high. One method to do that is to um, have an exercise day where you're completely uh, exhausted. So all of your glycogen stores are depleted um, and then have a, have a, have a meal that's quite high in carbohydrates. So you're actually re- restocking your body again. And that restocking process triggers the, the release of that growth hormone back into the body. So you'll have a surge in that growth hormone. Mm. So the next day that will be working harder to burn fat um, than it normally would be. If you combine that at the same time as fasting again, then it's like double the dose, if you like. So, um, mm, mm. so yeah, ha- having a full depletion, refeed, and then fasting the next day means yeah. that that that, um, that fat hormone will will kick in really strongly, and uh, potentially you burn more fat the next day than you than you have all week. Yes, um, sure. you can then have a really hard training week the next week, so you can get all the benefit from your hard training that hormone will actually drop away over the week <laughs> and then you can start the process again. So in theory, mm-hmm. a weight, um, a bodybuilder, for example, can go through this real hard training week, eat lots and lots of food so they can bulk up and then go through the, the fasting process to, um, to take a bit off again. So um, that's a process I know that some people follow. Um, I've followed it sometimes with some success so that I can maintain my training weight at a um, at close to race weight so that come mm-hmm. – Come race day, I'm in, I'm in the best shape I can be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, look, I come from a bodybuilding background. Um, the way I tended to use nutrition the most was to fuel my workouts, fuel my recovery. I wasn't one of these bodybuilders who tried to pack in an excruciating amount of hmm. food. Um, I found that it just made it more difficult to lose the body fat when I did need to. So yeah. I always found that that my experience and the experience of the clients that I trained was that as long as you have your nutrition on point around your training, your body is going to you know effectively utilize that energy for your hard training session and your recovery. Mm. And um, you know it's a matter of keeping things nice and clean the the rest of the time, so that. Uh, you know, you're getting all of those nutrients in and, and your body's doing its best to, to repair itself. Um, yeah. So I never went through these massive bulking up, you know, um, periods and uh, and I still managed to, uh, to pack on a, a great amount of muscle and, um, you know, achieve some, some incredible things in bodybuilding. And when it came to competitions, um, I definitely um, found what worked for me just like you with your... Um, uh, with your Christmas cake, with your fruit cake, um, you know, and and the the carb load and the carb depletion and what worked for my body, um, you know, uh, the day of competition to get me looking, you know, on point on stage. Mm-hmm. And so for me, a lot of what I recommend these days as well is, you know, biofeedback or, or really intuitively connecting with our body because the fact is so many people are out of tune and they don't pay attention to the fact that when they have that big meal of steak for example they feel so Mm. lethargic and they feel like shit and they they can't shit the next day and Mm. you know their body just doesn't you know um effectively um utilize that food properly but um but they're disconnected because they're they're so uh um, in love with the taste of that <laughs> food, for example, you know. Yep. So, um, so I certainly try and encourage people to be really in touch with their body and, um, and you know, work out what foods work for them and what don't, and um, you know, stop sabotaging themselves with the with the foods that they know are not right for them. You know, hmm. yeah, yeah. Spot on. Now, in seventy seven ultra marathons, there's only been four you haven't completed. What happened in them? Yep. Okay. So number one, um, the first one was my very first 100-kilometer attempt, um, and I was running it with somebody else. um, And um, they – 
um, so we were doing it. We'd agreed that we would run it together. Um, my ability was generally around speed and so on was was higher, but I agreed mm-hmm. to run slower with with her. Um, what then happened was that um, um, I made a couple of uh, rookie errors. Basically, I I ate um, some pizza at um, halfway through the race. Yeah. Um, so my body started to react quite poorly to that. Yeah. Um, and then I got to a part of the course where um, the temperature dropped really quickly um, and um, we're coming up a very, very steep set of um, like a big hill, like a set of stairs. So everything mm. conspired against me. Um, mm. My body was not digesting properly. Um, it got really cold quickly um, and my body started to shut down. So I actually got hypothermia. Um, and then I sat in front of a fire for, um, about an hour and a half and couldn't warm up. So, um, so I pulled the plug on that one because of hypothermia. Um, the second one, um, I'd actually had a calf strain, um, about six weeks prior to this race. It was a, an attempt at a hundred miles. Um, I'd done some rehab and got the calf back to a stage where I thought it was okay and I was able to do some test runs and it was fine. Um, within the first nine kilometres of the race, I could feel it starting to tear again. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, I managed it through, got to got to about 70K through the race wow. um, yep. before the calf just disintegrated on me. So um pulled the plug um at that point <laughs> mm-hmm. so that was that was the that was the second one um the next one again another 100k uh race um just felt really sluggish the entire race um and then got to about 50 odd k um and just literally ran out of energy and i didn't couldn't explain why um, so I just pulled the plug and went back to the hotel in the morning. I woke up with a rash across, across my belly mm. and, and it looked, it looked like, um, I had some sort of virus, um, and I didn't realize it going into the race. So it was definitely some illness that, that was the cause on that one. And, um, and the fourth one, yeah, it was just my ego, um, telling me I could do things that I probably couldn't. Um, the situation here is that I just completed, um, a series of events called the Buffalo Grand Slam. It's in Victoria. Um, you do three races over three days, um, which total to 137 k's wow. with about with about 10 kilometres worth of climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I completed that one. Um, <laughs> but then two weeks later, I'd agreed to enter another race, which was um, uh, which was 217 kilometres. Um, so I entered that race just two weeks later and, uh, tried to back up, um, essentially only got to about, um, again, about 70 Ks before, um, before my body had said, no, that's enough. Um, you haven't Mm -hmm. recovered from the first races yet. So, um, so that was the fourth, uh, time I didn't finish a race. Um, so yeah, a bit of a mixture, but, um, all slightly different causes. Hmm. Mm, absolutely. So for someone who is just starting out and there is incredible discomfort in their joints and their ligaments and they're pulling up incredibly sore yep. after a run, how do you coach them through that? Because that's a big hurdle for starters for a lot of people when it is they're beginning to really want to you know, drive themselves forward to get fitter and they're like, okay, yep, running's it. I've I've listened to Mark's podcast and uh, and I'm really motivated to get out and pound the pavement, but then they're like a week later, I can't do this. Yeah. No, look, absolutely. So so two things. So one is setting up a, a realistic expectation and, and that's the expectation is that um, it's going to take some time. These things, you can't jump into going from not doing anything to running four or five times a week and and not be and not you know you're going to be injured basically if you're going to do that sort of thing mm-hmm. so the expectation is set that there's going to be a very gradual steady um process first of all around how your body gets used to just being active again um and then slowly increasing distances slowly increasing frequency slowly increasing speeds um to work on various aspects of performance um, and that process going from even going from nothing to 5k, it can take, well, for, for some lucky people, it might take even 10 weeks 
Um, most people it would be taking 12, 14, 16 weeks, which sounds like a lot. But if you were to look back over the past, you know, your life in the past 12 months, if you were able to say, oh, that's what I did this year, then that would be a good year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we set mm-hmm. up the expectation that um, from where you are to where you might want to be, what's the time expectation? Um, the second expectation is that there are going to be hurdles along the way. Um, don't expect it's going to be smooth sailing. It's not always going to be hard, but there's going to be things that happen that you find uncomfortable. And it's the discomfort if we not only expect it, but we require the discomfort to occur uh, so that we can overcome it because when you overcome that discomfort and being able to push through, that's where the learning comes in. Um, You become mentally more resilient Um, your body actually starts to adapt when it's pushed and challenged. Mm -hmm. You're on that sort of knife edge almost. So um, I help and I coach people through that expectation. Things are going to be difficult. Things are going to happen that are unexpected, but they're required for the change process. So we have that conversation up front. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. What are some strategies that our listeners can use to make sure that they remain injury-free? Mm. when they're when they're training for running so really so for starters um being really honest up front about um what your current situation is so so if you do have a niggling injury or you've you know or you're otherwise active doing some other activity like in the gym or something knowing that that's occurring up front so that the level of activity that's that you're doing doesn't exacerbate that Mm -hmm. um but also then just generally to to uh, avoid an injury, it will be things like only progressing at a very moderate rate. Mm. So, again, it's um, if you're just starting out, you might start off by doing one or two runs a week, not doing five runs in the first week. Um, it's don't start off by doing, you know, lots and lots of sprint work when your muscles aren't limber enough to actually cope mm. with the increased mm. stress. Um, mm. It'll just be some nice really steady stuff to begin with and then when you start to become more conditioned, we can increase the speed later. So, again, it's just about following a really steady um, um, progression through the training um, so that your body has time to adapt to the, to the, to the stress of training. It's like an elastic mm. band. If you, if you try to stretch it too much, it's going to break. Um, yep. So we, we generally stretch it just a little bit, and then once it actually gets time to adapt, then we stretch a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yep. So are you saying that you have people from from ultramarathon runners to the absolute beginner that yeah. you for training right now? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I think about it in three, in three different areas. Um, we've got these people who are, who are not active at all mm. um, and, you know, they might be overweight or they might be unfit or they might have issues with their knees or whatever it is, right, and they don't have any belief at all that they can do anything. Mm. So taking them from a stage of being totally inactive to just starting doing something, walking a little bit, making, taking a few first steps running and, and getting them thinking that they actually can be active is kind of the first piece. Mm. Um, the next level is the, is the sort of person that might run once or twice a week and it's kind of been something that they, they do for stress relief, but um, they don't really understand the benefit of what it could mean to if they, if they could run a 10K or a half marathon. So... So again, taking them through that journey of of change of belief and and actually going through the training and achieving it is I work with those sort of people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then last, and the, I guess the final group is people that have been training for a very long time. They've run a few marathons or or, or whatever, but they've just got this this desire, this burning desire to really improve and get some some results. So it might be in a marathon they've run you know, four hours 30 and they might want to, I really want to break four hours. Mm. Um, So again, taking them through that process of, of um, actually improving them um, is, is what I also do as well. So yeah, it's, it's different, but either way, the process is similar. It's about taking people from a place of where they are to somewhere that they haven't imagined that they could do or they really want to go to. Yeah. Beautiful. I think uh, I think there's a lot of dads who are going to be listening who are really going to resonate with your with your story of you know your your marriage and you know moving into the next one and wanting to take things a bit easier with uh, with 
not stepping in too quickly into that parenting role with, mm. you know, um, with the other children. Mark, if our listeners are interested in working with you as a running coach, um, a mindset coach, and as you said, you're very passionate about uh, about helping people to go through that journey that you have to find yourself, to find that passion for a physical pursuit, and um, and also, I guess, to step into that role as an entrepreneur that, that has a real you know vision and focus for where they want to take their business. How can they get in touch with you? Yeah, great. Um, look, my website is uh, runforlife.net.au, and that's um, R-U-N for... Uh, numeric for life uh, dot 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 au, um, so they could they could jump on there, find uh, a link to email me. Um, a direct email is um, mark at runforlife dot net dot au. Um, Fantastic, and and um, certainly happy to share um, those contact details with you, uh, Jared. Um, if um, yeah, if you wanted to provide them separately. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mark, for being on the Super Dad Show today. I know that we've covered some fantastic ground looking at, uh, uh, you know, marriage, separation, relationship with our kids as we move forward in life, moving on to that next relationship, and, um, and how you have thrown yourself into this amazing world of ultra marathons and how that mental strength to go through that type of training has um, catapulted you in lots of other areas in your life as well and, and helped you to, to evolve yourself. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us on the Super Dad Show today. Oh, thank you, Jared. And I guess if, um, if, if one person resonates and, and something I've said helps one person, it's all been worth it. Too right, mate. Too right. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Have a great day. Thanks, Jared. Appreciate it. Please make sure that you listen in for the next episode and make sure you download the Super Dad app at the superdadapp.com. Mm-hmm.